We have been teaching uh, during the month of October, as is our custom in the fall, to teach on generosity, financial as well as uh, any other way, uh, giving of your time and your efforts. So far in our generosity series, we have looked at uh, the importance of giving and why it's important to give. We've talked about how giving can actually set you free from fear. A lot of people are afraid to give, not aware that it's the giving that actually calms your fears. Uh, why uh, Why giving is a reflection of your love towards God. And how giving helps you move towards greater trust in God. Now, uh, we also talked about having an attitude that uh, I will not just sit and offer something to God that doesn't cost me something. As we talked about David last week. And encouraging people to be more open-fisted. Not so tight-fisted with everything and just hanging on to stuff all the time. And I talked about that. And then somebody sent me a clip via email that was talking about tight-fistedness, and I thought it was kind of cute, so we're going to show it to you right now. It was so frustrating. Just when you're ready to give, you feel the compelling urge to hoard, along with hard-to-describe sensations in your arms and hands that keep you from being able to let go. It's called Close Fist Syndrome, or CFS. Close Fist Syndrome is the overwhelming urge to hold on to cash at all costs, This can lead to some very difficult situation, making normal, daily events a major obstacle. CFS can turn a bad situation into a nightmare. License and registration, please. My doctor said CFS is a recognized medical condition, and then he said something else. Generous. He said generous would help relieve those CFS symptoms that keep me from giving. He told me what to watch for, that generous may cause you to give more money away than is financially responsible, or to prematurely cash in your 401k. Tell your doctor if you experience these problems. Do not mix alcohol with generous, or you will lose the shirt off your back. Side effects can include bankruptcy, foreclosure, and living in a van down by the river. Most participants were not bothered enough to stop taking generous. Ask your doctor if Generous can help you overcome CFS and get you giving again. You gotta start putting that in the communion wine, man, I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all of this boils down to uh, today's message, which is an attempt to answer the fundamental question that so many people have when talking about giving is... How much should I give? Well, to take a look at that, we want to look at the Bible. This is where we get our uh, truth. This is where we learn about faith. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis, the 14th chapter. This is the first time that we see a, a, an amount given to giving. This is back with Abram, who became Abraham. And we read in Genesis, the 14th chapter, that... Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered you, your enemies, into your hand. And as part of his worship, Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This was the standard established thousands and thousands of years ago, long before 
uh, we knew much about anything about uh, God before Moses came along, before the law of Moses, any of these things. This was a standard of giving, and we refer to it today as the tithe. This is a, a phrase used in the King James Bible. Uh, referring to this 10%, and even more modern translations, like the one I use, still uses the word tithe. They held on to the word as, as just a part of the English vernacular. This is something that is so uh, so old and so established that it found its way into many other religions. Many other religions also have the concept of tithing. Even Islam has the concept of tithing. Why? Because this is something that was established a long time ago as an act of worship towards God. Now, many, 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 many years later, uh, this idea of the tithe got codified into the law, the law of Moses. Now, we don't live by the law of Moses. The law of Moses is, you know, the restricted, you know, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can wear, what you can't wear, you know, what you can do, what you can't do. I mean, it was extremely strict. And uh, as Christians today, we don't live by the law of Moses, but... Uh, Just because it was codified into the law of Moses doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't apply to us anymore. For example, um, you know, worship and sacrificing to God was done long before the law of Moses, even though it became codified into the law. Worship and prayer and all those things extend past it. But we first see it codified into the law of Moses in Leviticus, where Moses says to this, a tithe, 10% of everything from the land, whether grain, from soil, fruit, from trees, whatever it is, it belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. This was something that, that was very much uh, ingrained into the Jewish faith that you give God 10%. This idea of God blesses you with a dollar, you give a dime. You bring home a dollar, you give him a dime. This has been something that has been established in the faith world for, again, thousands of years. But it was just a starting point. It's very interesting when you read uh, in Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter, check this out. He says, then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for your name. There you are to bring everything I command you. Your burnt offerings and sacrifices. So you got offerings and sacrifices, which cost them, by the way. Your tithes and your special gifts and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord or you promised to give to God. So what you saw in the Bible is this idea of tithes and offerings. This is the standard. This is how God has always chosen to advance his kingdom on earth. Tithes and offerings. You will hear us talk about We're going to take our tithes and offerings. What does that mean? It means this idea of giving 10% of what God has blessed you with back to God. And even going beyond that. Some giving special offerings beyond that to help with missions or some other cause that they're concerned about or, or whatever. Hence the term tithes and offerings, not tithe or offerings. Okay? And make no mistake, folks. Everything you see today, as you, all you got to do is travel the world. Every time you see a church, be it a large cathedral or a modern facility like this or a small church anywhere out in the middle of nowhere, when you see Christian churches, Christian hospitals, you see Christian television networks, you see Christian missions and relief efforts, all over the world, down to the chairs that you are sitting in this morning. All of this has been made possible because people of faith have tithe and giving offerings to God. Now, sadly, most do not. And this is true all over the country, 
on average, about 12 to 15% of people actually do this. Stop and think what the kingdom of God would look like today if everyone did this. And then again, stop and think what it would look like today if no one did this. If people did not do this. You would not see what you see today. All that you see, experience, the scriptures, the gifts, the things that your kids are playing with today. All the things in their, in their classes. All these things were made possible. Because people tithed and gave offerings to God. This is why these things exist. Well, uh, along with tithes and offerings, we also see that God even took it a step further. It's one of these things that comes with a promise. If you do this, God gives a promise to you. Now we read about this in Malachi. Malachi is a prophet. um, And he's writing to the people. And he's encouraging the people because they're bummed out. Everything in life stinks. Everything's going wrong. Nothing's working. Why isn't it working? Where is God? What is happening? You ever feel like that? Something's just, you know, you think you should be going well and things aren't going well and things are breaking that shouldn't be breaking and things aren't working that should be working and it's like, what is going on? And Malachi begins to prophesy to the people and God speaks through him and this is how God responds to them. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And they said, what are you talking about? How are we robbing you? He says, in tithes and offerings, see, because they stopped doing it. They weren't doing it. As a result, he says, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. And he encourages them, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. This is how God has chosen to advance his kingdom. And then he does this interesting thing here. He says, test me. In this. Now, this is very radical for God to use the term test me. Because if there was one thing that God had taught them is don't test me. Don't push it. Thou shalt not test the Lord your God. It was very, very clear. In fact, if you'll read where Jesus was out fasting for 40 days in the wilderness before he started his ministry, the Bible says Satan came along and tempted him and took him on top of a high uh, uh, tower and said go ahead and jump off God will take care of you and the devil even quoted scriptures that the Lord will send his angels around you to pick you up lest anything bad happens to you and Jesus turned to Satan and said you shall not test the Lord your God you do not test God you don't go out there driving 110 miles an hour around a curve that says 40 thinking well let's just see if God takes care of us today folks Because you're going to wind up exceptionally dead. You're not supposed to test God. But then this radical thing God says here. Hey, test me. Bring it on. Go ahead and this. You can test me. See what happens. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And pour out so much blessing. That you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord God. In other words, they won't just be dropping off the vine. And you'll be blessed. He says, all the nations will call you blessed. They will look at you and go, wow. Yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. If you will do this, bring your tithes and your offerings. 
This idea was even carried into the New Testament. Some people think, no, it wasn't in the New Testament. Yes, yes, it was, actually. We read about it in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Jesus is is yelling at the Pharisees. These people were ultra, ultra religious and so anal and technical about everything that didn't seem to matter, but then would ignore things that did matter. And he was always in their face. That's why they couldn't stand him. It was the religious people of the day that crucified Jesus. They're the ones who orchestrated the whole deal. And Jesus is yelling at him here. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You take a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your salt, your pepper. They were so anal, these people. They would take 10% of their spices and go, whoop, this tent belongs to God. This belongs to God. I mean, these guys are out of control. Everything is so technical and so legalistic. And they couldn't even put salt on their french fries without putting 10% aside. He says, you nimrods. <laughs> I have a different translation than most of you. <laughs> you nimrods, you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here you're being anal about just your salt and your pepper. And you're you're not being nice to people. He said you should have practiced the latter. The justice, mercy and faithfulness. Without though he says. Neglecting the former. He wasn't blowing off tithing. He said just don't tithe and be a jerk and think I'm going to bless you. You need to do the right thing. But you also need to keep respecting this idea of the tithe. Now, again, there are many people, you'll hear them say, well, the the tithing was Old Testament, Old Testament. What they mean is the law of Moses, because we don't live by the law of Moses. But again, it existed before the law of Moses was codified into the law and carried into the New Testament. So it began and went after the law. We just don't blow it off. But I know a lot of people who say, well, that's just Old Testament, that's Old Testament. As if in the New Testament... We have a lower standard. Well, these people are delusional. Because you cannot possibly read the New Testament with any degree of honesty. And not see that Jesus came along and jacked it up. He went way past tithes. He moved into what we call sacrificial giving. This was the New Testament standard. Jesus comes to these men. Says, follow me, leave everything, come on, let's go. And the Bible says they would leave everything. These were young men who had worked hard in the family business. They had money and assets and resources. They turned and walked away from everything to follow him. One day Jesus is talking about putting God first and things about eternal life. And Peter asked him about it. He says, in Matthew the 19th chapter, he says, you know, we... We've left everything to follow you. What What will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, talking about family, children, or fields, real estate, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Some say, well, that was just the apostles. You know, he just told the apostles to. Everybody didn't have to do that. Well, 
again, look how this attitude got carried into the New Testament church. We've read this before. Look at Acts, the fourth chapter. All the believers were of one mind, one heart and mind. Talking about the New Testament church. And this was their attitude. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. They shared everything they had. They were a community of faith. We've talked about trying to become more of a community of faith. And we've got some exciting things that we're going to be introducing uh, uh, after we get through this 135 program and how we can step up and start being there for each other as a family of faith. But these people, none of them went around thinking, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, my precious, my precious, my precious, my stuff, my stuff, I gotta have my stuff, my stuff, my stuff. But nobody thought in those terms. These people went way beyond tithes and offerings. Their attitude was, hey, it all belongs to God. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. And there were no needy persons among them. Think about this. These churches were in the thousands, the tens of thousands. That's how large these churches were. One day, 4,000 men would get saved. Of course, if they brought their wives and children, you can do the math. Big yo mama churches. And there was not one needy person in the lot. Nobody lacked for anything. How is that possible? Because from time to time, those who had stuff sold it, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Anyone who can look at the New Testament and make the comment, and oh, tithing, we don't have to do that, as if we don't have to do that much, again, you are upside down. If anything, Jesus jacked this thing up and said, hey, it all belongs to God. But this idea of tithing did carry, and it continues to carry to this day. Again, this is how the kingdom of God gets advanced. Even though most people don't do it, this is how things get accomplished. But Paul talked about even times of special offerings. I love this. This is in 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. And Paul, Paul writes to these guys. It's really pretty funny because he's really kind of messing with their heads. He's... Uh, He's been bugging them about having a special offering, like the 135 offering we're going to have. Okay? Where I'm encouraging everybody to come together and trust God to give either 100, 300, or $500, whatever, according to your ability. And let's take a special offering for the kingdom of God. Well, Paul does this, and uh, he kind of gets in their face. He says, There's no need for me to write you about this service to the saints, talking about this offering that he wants to take. Oh, really? No need? Then why are you doing it? I don't really have to do this, but let me do it anyway. He says, I know your eagerness to help. I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians. You know, he would get this thing going where they kind of compete with each other, you know, with, with generosity. I've been telling the Macedonians how generous you are. They'd be thinking, oh, Macedonians, we're better than North Macedonians. We've got to come up with some money. You know, so he's playing one against the other. I've been telling them this since the last year. That you are ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. So now they want to outgive you cats. So I know you're willing to. I just know they're all because I've been boasting about how wonderful you are. Uh, but, you know, I am sending some guys in advance, some brothers, in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. But that you may be ready as I said you would be. So stop and think about it. He's, 
he's really be kind of a smart aleck here. And I can't help but see those guys smiling as they're reading this. Because what do you say? You know, I don't really have to say anything about this. You know, you guys are so generous to give. And I even told the Macedonians you're going to give more than they did. But uh, just in case, I'm sending some guys in advance to make sure you do it. For if any of the Macedonians come with me, and we find you unprepared, if the Macedonians come, and you haven't gotten your money ready for this offering, well, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed. How embarrassing that the Macedonians would say you don't have money ready to give. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance to finish the arrangements for the generous gift that you have promised. This is really funny stuff. I mean, he's literally egging them on, saying, you better give this offering, and I sent a bunch of guys in advance to make sure you do it. That's the whole deal of it, all right? Because they were doing this special offering. But then he changes the tone. Then he starts to reason with them from a very powerful scriptural principle. He says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And others are like, oh, I can't believe it. I got to give. He says, I got to give. I got to come up with something. This is horrible. He's thinking, no, don't think in those terms. Just be generous. Don't go, oh, oh, woe is me. He says, because God loves a cheerful giver. That's why we clap around here when we take the offering. You know, we encourage, be happy about it. Have a positive attitude. God loves people who are cheerful givers. His attitude to this is, look, you know how much you should give for the special offering? Think about it this way. If you want God to bless you a little bit, then give a little bit. If you want God to bless you a lot, then give a lot. It's the way it works. You reap what you sow. What you put in is when you get back. And he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all Things at all times, having all that you need. Everybody say all. 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 Wouldn't you love, how many would you love to have all that you need whenever you need it? How many want to sign? The rest of you want to be poor? That's okay. (laughs) Man, I want to have all that I need whenever I need it. Somebody say amen. amen. And God, I love this. God is able to make all grace so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants to bless you. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. And then he tells them this. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now he's using, uh, you know, farming terms. You know, most of the world until the... uh, industrial revolution at the turn of the 20th century most of the world spent their whole life their whole experience was farming and they got it they understood you got seed and from that seed let's say corn you would live off of some of that you would make corn meal and you would make bread and part of your food and stuff but then you would take part of the seed and you would sow it and you would plant it why so you could have more seed If you eat all of your seed, you're not going to have anything to plant. So I encourage people, as God blesses you, man, don't eat it all. Don't take everything God gives you. I need more seed. 
How come I don't have any more seed? How come you guys got seed? Because we planted some of our seed. Well, give me some of that. You don't think in those terms. Don't eat everything God gives you. What happens What stuff that you touch? Do you consume everything that you touch? Or do you plant some of it? Do you give it back into the kingdom of God? If you do, Paul says, you will be made, made rich in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now check this out. God will bless you and make you rich in every way. Why? So you can be more generous. Now stop and think about it. If you're God, who are you going to give money to? The guy who keeps everything for himself or the person who gives to others? Oh, come on. This is an easy call. Why would God bless someone who just keeps everything to themselves? God blesses people who give. And he blesses them more. Why? Because they will give more. And God is thinking, gee, I got a bunch of money here. Who am I going to give it to? Mr. Stingy or Mr. Generous? Hmm, ah, you lose. <laughs> but I want it. I need it. I need it. I need it. God, give it to me. God, give it to me. I need it. He's going to give you jack squat. Well, I might give you a couple of kernels. But he's going to give it to the guy who is going to what? He's going to turn out and he's going to be more generous. And more generous. Trust me, people, in this. God blesses people who give. I don't believe that. That is why your life stinks. It just says, look, I can't convince you. It's not like I go out knowing what you're doing. It's not the ushers of the door saying do you want to sit in the tithing or the non-tithing non-tithing section you know (laughs) I have no idea I'm not going to convince you of this only God can convince you of this but good grief who do you think God's going to bless God blesses those who put him first and trust me you know here's what's amazing about this when you start doing this what God promises Jesus says if you give it will be given to you Pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. Sounds like a good day to me. That's what happens when you give. I don't believe that. Again, your life stinks. People who do this get it. I think this is cool. This is, let me ask you a question. Do you know that, well, let me think a second. Do you know that people who do this generally do it for a lifetime? Do you know why? There's the question. Do you know why people who tithe keep doing it? Because it works. Because it works. Why would you do it if it didn't work? I mean, if you gave 10% of your income to God and your life is miserable and you're slowly dying on 90%. (laughs) Why would you keep doing that? Nobody would keep doing that. But the people who do this, they do it for life. Do you know why? Because they do this and they start having more at 90 than they did at 100. And they go, this is cool. This rocks. This is awesome. Wow. Things are good for me. I'm getting raises. I'm getting benefit. Things that should break, don't break. Things keep going better. I'm even getting better parking spots at the mall. This rocks. Any other person who does this, they hang on to everything, everything. They're miserable. 
They work hard. I gotta have more money and money, money, money. I need more money. I need more money. I can't tithe. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, let's be like you. If it didn't work, why would they keep doing it? Because I make them feel guilty. I hardly ever talk about this. I wish we had time to share the stories and the testimonials of people. They're sitting out there. I see some of you smiling. Some of you are snarling and the other are smiling. <laughs> kind of easy to see who does this from up here. <laughs> quick smile, quick smile. <laughs> but the ones who are, they do this and they love it and it rocks. I wish you could hear the stories. Your life is so much better. I'm telling you, you cannot outgive God. And the longer we have done this in our lives. And look, I know when it's hard, it's hard. The beauty about tithing is it applies to everybody the same. I've done it when we had nothing. And done it when we had much. You know what's ironic? It actually messes with your head when you got more. It does. You start making a really good income. Temper, oh gee, mom, that's a lot of money. You don't make that much, it's not that big a deal. But it applies equally to everybody. The more we've done this, the life, our lives continue to get blessed and to get blessed and to get blessed. I shared the story of uh, the couple in the church who a few months ago, they were talking about this idea of tithing. So well, I don't know if we can do this. And they were sitting out there on their, you know, Fox River, whatever, fishing and they're trying to decide, should we do this? Should we not do this? And they finally said, you know what? Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's test God. Let's, let's, let's put it to the test. We're going to do this. We're going to trust God and see what happens. And I kid you not. They said, after they decided this, a 30-inch northern jumped out of the water and landed in the boat. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I was talking to a man the other day, last week. Big giver. This guy has a lot of money. I wish he came to our church. Because sadly he does not. But he gives away millions of dollars, this guy. He's a man. I got so many stories like that. Craziest things. We were up at the cabin a week ago. And they like to live off the land, even though they got money up the wazoo. They like to live off the land. He said, what are we having for dinner tonight? He said, oh, well, I'll go out fishing. I think I can catch some fish. We'll have something tonight to eat. All of a sudden... He walked outside and this big fat duck just slammed in the door and died. <laughs> he went back in the house and said, No, nah, I think we're having duck tonight. <laughs> this stuff works. If it didn't work, people wouldn't do it. It's just that simple. Say, I don't believe it. Again, why your life stinks. Let's have our ushers at this time come and get ready to uh, take the offering. And musicians can come back. Let's get ready to serve communion. When you give, you are being the most like God. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. What happens? 
he gave. You see, it's inconsistent, it's inconceivable that you would say you love God and not give. To say you love the kingdom of God and not give. It's, you're deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself. When you truly love, you give. You find that in relationships. You find that with your children. You find that in any area of life. God so loved the world, he gave. When you give, you are being the most like God. He loved you so much. He loved me so much. Thank God. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. It says that whoever believes in Jesus would not perish but have eternal life. That's why he did that. That's what we're celebrating now as we get ready to take communion. His body broken for us. His blood shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. This is God's gift to us. And it came at a very high price. But motivated by love. Where are you at this morning? Have you truly surrendered your life to Christ? Have you made Jesus number one? Are you willing to let go and let God in your life? Well, I don't need Jesus. I'm fine. I, I'm a pretty nice guy. I'll, I'll, I'll be good enough. Yeah, lots of luck with that. Look, if you could be good enough on your own, Jesus would have never died on the cross. He would have said, hey, just be good enough. If there's anything you could have done, he would have said, hey, just do it. But he knew at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do to work off your sins. The only way to deal with your sin problem, and we all have it, is God's forgiveness and His grace. That's why Jesus Christ died. That's why His body was broken and His blood was shed. Have you taken advantage of that wonderful gift? I'd like to invite all of you to bow your heads with me all across the celebration campuses. And If you're visiting this morning, maybe you've, first time you've been here, maybe you've been here for years and you've never really surrendered your heart, but maybe this morning you're saying, you know, I get it, I want to, I want to start really experiencing God in my life. I want to experience his forgiveness. We're going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to invite everybody to pray this prayer along. And if you will mean this prayer from the bottom of your heart, you can start to experience God's wonderful grace and forgiveness in your life. Let's pray together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And that you love me so much. You went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender to you. Amen.